Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. My guest is uh, Dr. Pete Van Rankin. He's a vet, veterinarian, a co-founder of Voyager Dog Food Company. So we're going to talk about uh, Voyager Dog Food. Why did they create it? Do they really eat their own dog food? Hopefully not. And, you know, other questions about being a vet and uh, the health of dogs. So, Pete, thanks for coming. Hey, glad to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Can, you can literally tell people maybe that you eat your own dog food or you eat your own cooking, right? I used to do that every once in a while just for shock for shock value to employees mm. at the veterinary clinic. Mostly dog biscuits, but I can't say that I eat my own dog food. I guess that's been done quite a bit. Uh, but my wife's a damn good cook, so I'm unlikely to want to eat my own dog food. My wife has tasted some of the dog food, too, and I'm like, oh, God. And she goes, it doesn't really taste like much, you know? So, you know, she worries about her dogs and wants to make sure they're okay. So she has tasted it. But the normal person, you're right, it's like, Ugh. Generally, it tastes like a rich cracker. So a tri- or maybe some, uh, maybe a Triscuit or something along those lines, something like that. But any cracker, a Triscuit. So that's probably more like what it tastes like. Right on. Well, tell me about your background. So you, you were a vet and then you got into making dog food or you know, tell me a bit about your journey and your history for a start. I'm a graduate of Michigan State University in 1974. So I've been doing this for a long time. This is my 49th year of uh, being a veterinarian. It's only my fifth wow. year manufacturing dog food, but I'm- This is my 48th year of being alive. So you- be- Here you go. Yep. So I was practicing before you were born. So to a certain extent, that's not a bad thing. It means I have a lot of experience in and that's kind of what happens is uh, as you practice, I mean, they call it veterinary practice is practice because that's what you do in practice. And so you, you start to learn a little more every year about what you what you could do better in regards to skin conditions or internal medicine or surgery. But then we also learn about nutrition while we're on our trip here. And uh, that's the one thing that I became sort of enamored with is that really there were a lot of things about dog foods that weren't being done. A lot of the dog foods are sold to impress you know, I don't know if you watch on TV, but they're alluding to the fact that this is better because they're doing this to dog food, and that's usually not the case. I'm sorry to say that that is not the case. And a lot of times, when I'm seeing clients, what they know about nutrition is what they've watched on TV in regards to ads. I've heard, you know, for many years, don't give the dogs that. That's people food. What do you think about that? You know, it's kind of, I guess everyone's been taught that there's a thing called dog food and there's a thing called people food and never the two shall meet. What, what are your thoughts there? Well, I think for a complete and balanced diet, you need to have your dog eating at least 80% dog food. Uh, and that's a, a balanced, complete and balanced diet, uh, an AFCO certified complete and balanced diet. I think if you want to give treats, uh, people like to give treats, and we're not going to stop people from doing that. However, for instance, uh, we know that a lot of dogs with uh, ear infections and hot spots, and sometimes even diarrhea and things like that, that a lot of those people are feeding, uh, oh, you know, prepared treats, uh, begging strips, milk bones, blah, blah, blah. You know, so we, we know, at least in our practice, a lot of us, a lot of the time, we're going to go ahead and recommend uh, the ABCs, apples, bananas, and carrots. Some of these people won't 
I'm more than that. So it's apples, bananas, and carrots, and I give them beans of green, cucumbers, or cubes of ice. So that gives them six things they can feed if they have food allergies. So lots of times it's not actually the dog food. It's the treats that people are given or even that, the table scraps. So I'm kind of against the table scrap thing simply from the standpoint that people give dog stuff without thinking what they're given. We see a fair amount number of pancreatitis cases three days after Thanksgiving because they put a lot of gravy on the dog food and stuff. So I get- Oh, wow. It gives some dogs pancreatitis. Jeez. Oh, yeah. Yeah, really long chain fatty acids in like turkey gravy or turkey fat can cause that. Pork fat's the same way. It can cause a lot of pancreatitis. So these dogs that get copious amounts of fat in their diet, sometimes they'll develop uh, pancreatitis. And they think it just, they snapped a finger and it happened, but most of the time people did something to make that occur. For instance, there's five people at the table. They all had ham that night and they all trimmed the fat off the ham, gave it to the dog. Dog weighs 25 pounds. It's more more long chain fat than the dog can really tolerate and you end up with pancreatitis. If we save your dog, we save your dog, but you spent $1,500 doing it. So unnecessary. I think we really try to discourage people from doing that. Yeah, no, that's crazy. I didn't know that. So with dog food, I mean, well, here's a question before we move on. What about a carnivore diet for dogs? I've heard that cats, supposedly they could eat just meats and they'd be totally fine. With dogs, what's the story? Is it better for them to have grains and, you know, what we would be a balanced diet or is a carnivore only diet good for them? No, certainly it does benefit them to have some grains. Uh, for instance, uh, corn is vilified in diets. Uh, we really kind of like corn. Corn has methionine and cysteine in it, which are two precursors for uh, taurine, which gives you good heart health. You know, and uh, everybody says, well, you know, how does a coyote get by or a wolf get by? Well, usually they eat the pluck which is the GI tract uh, when they kill something. So the first thing they eat is the, the entrails and, and the stomach and everything. And of course, that has green in it frequently. If it's a rabbit or a pheasant or whatever they did in. So they are actually kind of balancing their diet out by the way they go about it. So we're big believers in dogs really having not a grain-free diet. And they're really omnivores. But you're very correct. Cats are, are carnivores. Dogs are omnivores. They can eat both. In fact, there's some dogs that have to eat a vegetarian diet because they're allergic to most meat proteins. So we see all sorts of presentations. What about uh, the microbiome of dogs? You know, microbiomes become a very important issue for people. We see how it regulates mood and, you know, all kinds of functions, GI integrity. Does anyone focus on dog microbiome? And if so, how is it addressed? Well, they talk about pre and post, you know, prebiotic and probiotic. And, and really, I think most of the tri nutritionists are kind of are kind of back and forth on those sorts of things. Most dogs do find eating really just uh, drinking water and having a complete and balanced diet. So the biomes are things they manage themselves for the most part. We occasionally get dogs. In fact, I just had a dog not long ago that had uh, that had antibiotic response of diarrhea. So every time we get diarrhea, we put him on antibiotics, he get better, and then he go two or three weeks, or sometimes even only a few days, and then he get diarrhea. Again. We actually did a fecal transplant on that, where we took a healthy dog's uh, stool and put it in water form, and then injected in the rectum, and uh, that's a real pleasant thing. But nonetheless, we injected, we did a fecal transplant. Dog was kind of normal in about 10, 12 days. And so, yeah, oh, wow. it is what it is. And they do that with, I think, C. diff with people. I'm not sure, but I think that's what they do with fecal You know, the FDA has approved it, like fecal transplants, I guess, just for that indication. Yeah, yeah. So fecal transplants work. I don't have to do them very often, but they certainly exist. And really, the thing you have to worry about Probably in our businesses, these dogs coming out of a puppy. Found mills. Yeah. You know, people who have multiple puppy, you know, multiple dogs they breed. So they have five or six uh, breeding females and stuff. And they have 
And a lot of those dogs are kept in a confined area. And you'll see some of the times they get Giardia and, and Clostridium perfringens and a few things like that. And then you start them on antibiotics. And next thing you know, everybody's fine except two of the dogs. And they have this intermittent diarrhea goes on. A lot of those dogs will grow out of it. But if they don't, you got to do fecal cytologies and all sorts of stuff and try to get them dino-tuned, so to speak. And so that's a lot of work. What about dogs that have been, you know, a lot of them are uh, neutered, spayed, you know, while they're young, their body systems work well, just like people, once they get old, you know, what happens if you have a dog that was spayed uh, 10 years ago or neutered 10 years ago, hormonally, microbially, et cetera, what do they need later on in life so they can still function well? Well, usually not anything. You know, the only problem I ever see is occasionally I get female dogs that are older that are incontinent because their adrenals aren't producing the amount of hormones they should. So we see that from time to time, but that's kind of in the kind of minority of dogs that are like that. We don't see a ton of dogs in that situation. There's also this thing where sometimes if you're going to take some of these big dogs and you know, sometimes adoption facilities will spay them when they're like four months old or something like that. Occasionally, there's some data that indicates they probably should have, you know, maybe been spayed when they were nine or 10 months of age because there's a higher incidence of osteosarcoma or chondrosarcoma, which is bone cancer in some of those dogs. I'm not sure anybody can really pinpoint why that is, but but that's the data that's indicated. So, and really, if you let them go to their three or four years of age, some of the female dogs will develop breast cancer. So you're kind of in between a rock and a hard place. So you just don't like to do them too early or do them too late until something's already happened that's not good. Okay. Yeah, going back to the dog food, I have seen recently on bags of dog food, they say grain-free, and then other ones have grains. What are your thoughts on grains or no grains in dog food? I think they need grain in dog food. I, I don't think there's any question about that. I think that, and most of that work was done at Tufts University out east, and they're they're starting to think that the lentils and, and peas and peas and uh, potatoes and those sorts of things, if there's that's all there is in that dog food and then one meat source, that there's a, not a decent chance, but a higher than normal chance that you might get dilated cardiomyopathy. We kind of know this because most of us have kind of dealt with, you know, I dealt with cardiomyopathy, you know, 49 years ago, we used to see it in these big breed dogs. And we still see it in these big breed dogs like Danes and really Dobermans probably also. You can see it in a Thing, but it's a big reduction. But now we're seeing it in all sorts of dogs, all sorts of size of dogs. And really what we think is happening here, we put them back on grain-inclusive diets after they've been on grain-free diets. And some of these hearts get better. So the silhouette of that heart gets smaller. And uh, that's never happened. Used to be when you had dilated cardiomyopathy, that was a that was a, what we referred to as a small bag of food di- uh, disease because, you know, a lot of those dogs didn't last very long once they were diagnosed with that. The hard rod all stretched out didn't work well, but now some of these dogs are, you put them back on grain-inclusive diets and they're doing better. But I would encourage everybody to use a grain-inclusive diet. I think that's important. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. What about leg injuries? Are they good, bad, or ugly? 
That's the ugly part too. So not no legumes either. I mean, you can have some legumes in there, but probably you want to do, you know, I'm much happier when you have oats or corn or barley, you know, things like that. Wheat, not so much because I, in our practice, we see some allergies, some uh, skin allergies to wheat. So most of the other grains, or you even use an ancient grains. I don't know that you need to do that. I don't think that's important. But I think if you have some grains in there, I think it's important to, in a beneficial way for your dog's health. And you also mentioned uh, copper and your dog formulas in your and it gives a good. What's the story with copper? Well, this is exactly the reason we're making our food. And uh, I told somebody one time uh, to describe our food, we make sure the cop there's no man-made copper in there. So when you turn your bag over and you look and you see it says copper sulfate or protonaceous copper, in my estimation, that's a bad thing. That's a man-made disease. We put copper in dog foods because it's a growth promoter for baby pigs. And I'm not sure how they made that, how they wandered all the way across the floor and ended up putting this in dog food. Because we know it causes uh, hepatitis in some dogs. We think it's actually fairly common, uh, but fairly undiagnosed because you have to do a liver biopsy. A lot of people don't want to do a liver biopsy, spend four grand, and then find out, you know, six, seven, eight year old dog, they just don't want to violate their dog's body to do that. But we've gotten pretty good at kind of picking that up without the biopsy. It's, it's sort of a diagnosis of exclusion. So that's our big thing. We we take copper out of dog food. We make sure there's grain in it. We take beef, milk, and wheat because those, in our opinion, are the three things that that cause food allergies or adverse food reactions, which are sometimes vomiting, diarrhea, ear infections, hot spots. So I I express I express it this way that if I was going to cheat at cards, the way to do it was to mark every card in the deck. So that's what I'm trying to do is mark every card in the deck so that your dog wins. And if your dog wins, then you win. If you win, then I win. We win. I should go back to the we thing. We win, you win, the dog wins. And that's all we're doing is we're we're uh, trying to make sure that we are preventing diseases that we can prevent. What's um, what about the big commercial brands? You know, um, what's wrong with them? You know, why not get Alpo or Purina or whatever? Just use that. What does? I just watched a a podcast with them the other day and. And they were like, and this all came up, copper or no copper, copper or no copper. You know, and, and they all said, well, let's just leave it the way it is until somebody does more research. And then they said, well, who's going to do more research? And they said, we don't know who's going to do more research, which meant nobody was going to do any more research. So I'm actually working on something right now with another veterinarian. So we're doing a little research right now. And uh, But I think it's very, I mean, listen, these are great big corporations. This is you know, I, I'm going to spend some money doing this, and but it's, this would just be pocket change for people like that to go ahead and do that. And I would think that as much as they refer to people as pet parents, they really felt like they were pet parents. They wouldn't be putting copper sulfate or proteinaceous copper in dog foods. It really wouldn't. I don't know what that's all about, but I'm pretty disappointed in their attitude about things. And right now, you know, it's one of those, let's just do it the way we've been doing it. Okay, but as a veterinarian, you know, we're seeing this copper stuff. You know, they're not seeing it because they're not veterinarians. It's sort of like me giving Tiger Woods uh, pointers on how to golf. You know what I mean? If you don't know how to golf, you shouldn't talk about it. I don't know how to golf. So that's the end of that. But there are people who play golf on Sunday afternoons and there's people who are watching on TV. I'm the person that watches on TV. I'm not going to tell them what to do. But that's kind of what's going on now is, is uh, I think they're being careless in my estimation. My opinion. What else is uh, positive or negative about dog food? Say, what should people look for when they go to the store? What should they avoid? Well, here's what you have to know. Sometimes, like there's one of the dog food companies now that really talks about uh, deboned chicken. Well, my dog food 
our dog food has deboned chicken in it, and they're actually proud of it. But deboned chicken's about 70% water. It's about, and then that leaves 30% left of other stuff. So it's about a 16% fat and 14% protein. But what happens is they get to put deboned chicken in there because by weight, when you put it in the dog food, that's the thing that weighs the most. So just imagine this, if I was making my favorite, making a watermelon dog food, I put watermelon in there, 100 pounds of watermelon. Once I cook it off, there's only about three pounds of watermelon. All of a sudden, that watermelon goes from being number one to number 14 on the list of things. They also do things like uh, they'll uh, split. Like they'll they'll say, well, rice is down here at number four. And then you see brown rice, then white rice, and then rice flour. So they split the, you know what I mean? They split it up. So you think, well, the number one thing in there is meat. Let's just say it's deboned chicken. By the time you cook the deboned chicken down, it's the three most prominent things in that entire diet happen to be rice, brown rice, and rice flour. So it's kind of a, you know, it's a, a shell game, if you know what I'm saying. Makes sense. Yeah, well, I think, you know, when we when we build our foods, I told the, we used a PhD nutritionist to do our, our stuff. And they said, you know, I told them kind of the, some of the things I wanted in this food and the things that I thought it were important in it. And I said, in the end, I said, let's just make it like you'd make it to feed your own dog. I think that's what I want to do. I want to make it like, and that's that's what I really decided to do in the first place. I was going to make a food that I could feed our family's dogs. I could feed my friend's dogs and I could feed my client's dog. Well, we're at the point now we're selling it all over the, all the United States. We're not selling it much in stores. We're selling it mostly direct to customer or direct to user. So we just send it by UPS. Everybody else in town, I mean, there's a lot of people in the town I live, Battle Creek, Michigan, that are that are using our food. And, you know, that's, that's always the nice thing because I get to see, I still work three days a week in the office. And so I get to see those people and they, they very frequently thank me for doing what I'm doing because they can actually tell the difference. How often should dogs be fed? How much, you know, what are some tricks in the feeding schedule and the amounts? Yeah, you know, the, let's just talk about the first thing. When you have puppies, you should probably feed them three times a day. They get a little older two times a day, and that's usually what I feed my dogs now two times a day, but a lot of people feed them once a day. My personal opinion is I think they do better having it uh, twice a day. There's usually on the bag, there isn't usually on the bag, there's always on the bag that tells you how many calories per cup, and then you can figure out what your dog, what your dog's resting caloric needs are. Usually there's a little form you can look up online probably, but in the end, and just like you and I, I mean, I don't know exactly how to tell you this, but but there's some rather chubby people that sometimes run air hammers for a living. And, uh, you know, they're working out outdoors and, you know, they're builders or they're landscapers or they're whatever they are. And even though they're really working hard, they're a little overweight. And then sometimes you get the guy who sits in a in his chair, he's an accountant, and you think he'd be chubby. So everybody has a different metabolism. I guess that's what I'm saying. So I can't really tell you, I can't really look at you and say, here's what your dog should eat. How much does your dog weigh? Here's what he should eat. Or here's what she should eat. I can't do that because the metabolisms are all different. So I think we all know when we're putting on a couple pounds, we should probably eat less if we're getting too Kenny, we should eat a little more. That's kind of the way we do it with dogs. And if I had to tell you there's one thing I see that probably could be changed is that people feed their dog exactly the same amount all year long. I think if your dog's mostly indoors during the winter, you probably should feed them less because they tend to gain weight. They're not out digging, uh, trying to get moles out of the yard or chipmunks out of the yard and uh, those sorts of things. So everybody's, I, I really can't speak to say this is what you should do, this often you should feed, this is what you, how much you should feed. It's going to be very from dog to dog. But I will tell you this, when you put your hands on your dog and you can feel the ribs, great. 
I like that. If you can't feel the ribs, probably too fat. And if they're going to be too fat, they're going to develop arthritis and stuff. If they're too skinny, you'll be able to see their ribs from 10 feet away. Oh, I think we all kind of figure this out on our own. And, uh, you know, even you and I, I mean, it's a group of people in the United States. If you took a, if you took a thousand people, you'd have 999 of them were unhappy about what they weighed. And one person that was happy had the truth of the matter is they're either trying to gain weight or lose weight. So I, I think you figure out what you think your dog ought to weigh and when they feel good when, and do it that way. Well, what are some mistakes you see people make when they're feeding their dogs? Or what are outward signs that the diet you're giving the dog is not good for them? Like what things can, you know, what happen to go to a vet? Sure. Sometimes people come in and I have this conversation. Well, it looks like your dog's got bilateral ear infection. So you're probably, you're probably feeding something that doesn't like your dog. And we, and we actually had that motto. It's like, it's really nice if your dog likes our food, but it's a hell of a lot better if our food likes your dog. So we tell people that. And I just had a conversation with somebody when I was at uh, the convention in Orlando. And uh, she says, well, my dog, I think my dog was having anal gland problems. So I was doing this and doing that. And, and she says, you know what? I, they were talking about removing my dog's anal glands because they were inflamed all the time. And uh, she says, and, and he was really gassy and he didn't feel good and on and on and on. So she figured this out on her own that she changed the foods and uh, put her dog on a hydrolyzed diet, which we carry one of those, which is a which is a diet for uh, dogs with food allergies where the protein's all cut up into small pieces so the body doesn't recognize it. And I said, let me guess, was he, I'll bet he got over being gassy. And she's like, yeah, he got over being gassy. I said, how many bones a day was he having when he was on the other food? And uh, she says, between three and four. She said, how many are they supposed to have? I said, one and a half, one or two a day, one or two bottles a day. If you have more than that, you're probably having some GI issue. And so then she told me once she got to be on the right food, she says that he was no longer gassy. He was having one and a half bottles a day, felt better. And she even noticed that he was doing less uh, digging at his ears and a few things like that. So this is one of those clients, uh, somebody else's client, obviously, but one of these clients that figured it out on her own. But that's really kind of what people have to do. They have to kind of change things around you know, to, to make it work right. But, you know, we just see a lot of people that are in this situation are given cheese. A lot of dogs don't tolerate cheese or milk products. I let them lick out of yogurt cups. No, nope, not a great idea. After my cereal's done, there's a little bit of milk and cereal left. I give them that. Probably not a good idea. Always like when I've given them allergy pills, like what are you putting the allergy pills in? Cheese. So that's a, and what they used to term this as a Mexican standoff where you're given the thing, you're given the pill that fixes it and the material that causes it all at the same time. No, I noticed one of the archetypes of dog personality, you know, there's, there's always these dogs that are like totally food driven. Yeah, you know, I've had a few in my life, but their whole life is about food. And those are harder because anytime you're eating something, they're right there staring at you, drooling on you, begging you for the food. And so I, I think, well, my own guilt here, but uh, you tend to give them more treats because they just bug you a lot more. You know? Well, then what you do is you're going to give them treats that don't have very many calories in. You know, we talked to her a little earlier about ice cubes and give them ice cubes. There's very, few, there's no calories in an ice cube. Calories in like a cucumber, a baby carrots have some sugar in it. You know, one of the great ones is green beans. You can give them green beans, salted green beans. There's a lot of fiber in those and calories. And uh, somebody said, well, how about the salt-free ones? I'm like, have you ever had salt-free VA juice? It is not very tasty. Yeah. So you give them the ones with the with that in there. I think the biggest thing, the thing you ought to do is make them go sit in another room when they're eight weeks of age and you're eating. And uh, so that's those things, you know, that probably was a mistake on your part when he has the big eyes or she has the big eyes. Oh, I give her the stuff. She's got the big eyes. She's looking at me. He says, I went to a friend's house in Florida and he always told me he never gave fed his dog off the table. So I stayed overnight with those folks and we got up and had breakfast the next morning and I looked at my shoes. I had saliva 
all over them because the dog was under the table waiting to be fed by these people, and they fessed up to it. Kind of funny, you know. Well, the problem is the dog could stare at you. You give it something, he goes, Arr. eats it, and then it stares at you again as if it never ate. So I come home, and I'd always say to my wife, did you feed them? She goes, yeah, don't believe their lies. Because when they see me, they knew I would give them something. So they bother me every single time, no matter how much. Well, this is going to be on you. So the next dog you're going to have, you know, it's, if they get used to doing something, I used to tell people, well, I can't trim my dog's nails. I can't trim my dog's nails. And I'd say, well, when they're six weeks old, do one foot every day. And when you get done, give them a, a training treat and don't put up with any crap from them, you know. But when they just get into bad habits, you know what I mean? They aren't going to let you do this. They're not going to let you do that. They want you to do this. They want you to do that. So, you know, when they start paying the, the property taxes, I guess you can let them start doing this stuff. But until then, let that happen. I don't know. They tend, you know, they, they know who's the weakest one, yeah, i.e. me. So they bug me the most, but I try not to. Sure. If I make them, you should go sit in another room. Go sit there and stay. And then then if you want to give them something from the table, you walk in from your room and give them something that you decided to give them. But I'd make sure it wasn't very much and it was fairly healthy for them. Yeah, no, that's good. There's like a brand called Lotus. They have like low-calorie oven baked like tiny little pellets so my daughter got that for me so we can give them like a treat i i throw it all over the floor and they eat it like birds and they pick up all the little pieces so it's like it keeps them busy for like three to five minutes you know once a day i'll do that again it's low calories so that seems to work as a good snack well yeah and they really uh, people need to start looking at that uh, these treat bags they'll say how many kilocalories per treat it is you know some are as low as four and five and six that's the one thing you have to do i mean just like for us with candy, we can have M&Ms, two or three M&Ms, or we can eat one of those great big butterfingers. Tell you which one's the better for you, the two or three M&Ms. But you know how this is. Sometimes we go to buy a butterfinger and they have three different sizes. We get the biggest damn one you can get your hands on and start working it over. But that's just discipline. On Listen, your dog can't go to the grocery store or even at the even the 7-Eleven and, and uh, buy anything with themselves. I get to look at dogs all day long. I never see debit cards or credit cards or money belts. Or money clips on them. They can't. They can't buy any of this craft themselves. We do it, and so this is. So uh, I guess maybe we have to own that. You know, for the longest time, Art. That's a, somebody said to me one time, and this is years ago. I said, "What do you give your dogs for treats?" I'm like, "Nothing." I know they get water and they get their dog food. And we play with them and treat them well and take them places and do all sorts of stuff with them. Oh, we don't feed them off the table, and we're you know mostly. You know, I do this. I mean. I, it's really hard for me to bitch people out and tell them not to do stuff when I'm doing it myself. I had a client one time says, well, you've never told me to brush my dog's teeth. I said, you should brush your dog's teeth. However, I'm going to tell you, I don't brush my dog's teeth. So I'm anxious about telling you to do something that I'm not doing myself. And in fact, when, you, when the first lab we got, I told my wife, my word, her name's Sharon. I said, she was Sharon. Don't give this dog, don't turn this dog into a big corpulent mess because I sit around and bitch at people all day long about how heavy their dog is, and some are offended by it, but I'm, it's what I'm supposed to do is to be advocate for the dog. That's what I'm supposed to do, to be advocate. Do you see the dog owners that are, you know, dog owners that have overweight dogs, and the owners themselves overweight too? Like, do they correlate? The dog looks a certain way the owner does too? You know what? I do that with people every once in a while when I say, well, your dog's overweight. And I, I keep records on the card and I see I've talked to about the last time. I have a little trick I do. I take a business card. And if their dog weighs 89 pounds and I think it ought to weigh 69 pounds, I write on the card, my dog, Wilbur, whatever, the, if that's the dog's name, will weigh 69 pounds by a year from today. And I said, I want you to take a picture of your wife out of your wallet and put this card in. And I said, I, 
So every time you think about giving your dog a treat, I will be right on your ass. You know, as far as in your billfold, there will be a thing, a contract that you and I have for your dog to weigh 69 and they come back in. And I'm going to tell you, it is a lot of fun. Those people come in a year later, many of them, and this is all, the card's all beat up by then. And they say, my dog weighed 70, but I think that's pretty close to 69. And don't you? And I said, I, I, I do. If I could name a street after you in this town, I certainly would. But you, as, and I'll say, you know what? And my dog feels better. I didn't think he'd feel better losing all that weight, but my dog feels a lot better. And we really delay the onset of arthritis and stuff when we get that weight off. Fat is not benign. Fat actually, there's a protein called leptin that gets produced in fat, and it causes inflammation in your joints. And, and every once in a while, you see somebody has a very sedentary lifestyle, and they're getting a knee replacement or a hip and a knee replacement or something like that, and you wonder, geez, I don't think they played volleyball or ran track or anything. Why are they having a knee replacement? Because their joints are inflamed the entire day because all this. Interesting. Okay. So and if there's a, you know, I've got to be careful. I see this, but there's a little chubby girl next door, and she's getting a knee replacement, and all she ever did, all you ever saw her do is work in her flower beds. That's why she's getting a knee replacement. I understand, man. You're right. It sounds counterintuitive. I'm offending probably a lot of your listeners with all my nonsense today, but it's not nonsense. It's pretty much I'm telling you the way it is. What I do for a living is I'm advocate for the dogs and cats that I see in our practice. And so that's what I mean. That's the way we built the dog food. We built the dog food to, you know, prevent the preventable. So I don't have to treat the treatable. They eat the right stuff. I don't have to treat them for a lot of other nonsense later on. Yeah. What kind of feedback do you get from people on the Voyager dog food? Like how long to be on it until they see results and what do they tell you? So a lot of the people that feed the food, their dogs have copper disease, and they'll tell you after two or three months, the dog was remarkably better. And what we didn't know when we started making this was that if you have copper that's been stored in your liver, you think that that's going to be there forever. It's actually not going to be there forever. As long as you don't put any more copper in, a lot of that copper will find its way out. For instance, we biopsy my daughter's dog when it was uh, nine months of age and it had 500 parts per million of copper because she was feeding it a commercial puppy food. We put it on our food. Five city later, it's down to 295 or something like that. So yes, we get uh, all sorts of people are sending me beer, caramel corn, restaurant uh, gift cards, all sorts of stuff because we really made a difference in their dog's life. I would not have thought that it would have been that stark, but we are seeing really good results. Uh, listen, not every dog does well in our food, but most of them do dramatically better. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, we get this all the time. And uh, the guy who kind of runs the warehouse, Ben, he gets these emails in from people and he says that he reads them to me from time to time. And it's, lots of times it's two or three emails he's got to read me over a two or three day period. And uh, even after that, I get the one that's the most poignant is the, the one from the dog that we've been feeding for uh, four years that died at 15 years of age and said the dog was a mess at 11 years of age when it started. This did really, really well. And they thanked me for, they thanked us for getting them another three or four years. So as a veterinarian, I mean, that's why I want the school to do that sort of and uh, so we're, we're really, I mean, I'm proud of our group for what we're doing. And, and uh, it makes us not get bored with our, our thing. This isn't just a, this isn't a thing to really even, it's not a get rich kick quick scheme or anything like that. This is just say, let's, let's see something that's broken and fix it. And most successful companies are started by people who are unhappy with the way things were. That would describe us to a T. We were unhappy that there were grain-free diets. We were unhappy that there was a lot of copper and duck. And by the way, your listeners can go ahead and stop in the pet store, wherever they want to go, and turn the bag over. And it's there someplace, copper sulfate, proteinaceous copper, copper sulfate, proteinaceous copper. It may not bother your dog, but it's going to bother a lot of dogs. Last question, what about temperaments when dogs' food changes? Does their temperament change, and how so? What have you seen? No, I don't see that hardly at all. 
you know, sometimes dogs may become indifferent. You know, dogs are kind of funny. They'll look at a new food and they think, no, this is not what I normally eat, and they'll walk away from it. Or they'll look at a new food and go, woo, a new food. You know, you know, you might go home and your wife made, uh, let's say, German potato salad, which, by the way, I love. And I'm like, ooh, German potato salad. We haven't had that in four or five years, and I'm excited to eat it. But a lot of dogs are kind of interested in eating the same thing day after day after day after day after day. And a lot of folks think, well, they're going to get tired of it or something like that. And really, for the most part, a lot of dogs don't. In regards to our food, uh, we make three or four different flavors that we are able to change from time to time to time. But at our house, the dogs are like the chicken and corn, and that's mostly what they get, and that's mostly what they like. And I got two dogs. If I bring the pollock home, which is actually a better food, if I bring the pollock home, they're like, who in the hell brought this home? And Which is fine. I can live with that. I know there's some dogs like fish. I've had ones that you know, love fish, and some hate it. They're just like more savory meat type stuff. And some dogs, you know, they seem to have a sweet tooth. You got to be real careful with that. But I guess, you know, yeah, they all have their personalities and tastes. Well, we have the opportunity to feed dogs with healthy for them, so that's what we should do. And, and so... I don't do that myself necessarily all the time. It used to be when somebody talked about barbecue chicken pizza, you know, I could hardly wait to get out for lunch and go get one. But for the most part, and I've kind of even gotten over that a little bit, but for the most part, uh, like I said, they don't have debit cards. And so you should be feeding them what is healthy for them and picking out the right choice for them. We have a hell of a time doing that for ourselves, but we can do it for them. And right, what about nuts, like cashews or almonds or stuff like that? Like- is that okay for dogs? You know, I don't know that I do that very much. I mean, a lot of dogs like peanut butter, and that's kind of salty. But dogs will eat cashews and that sort of thing. But I'm not a big fan of it representing much of their diet. But people will give that from time to time. I think the big thing you want to watch out is for baker's chocolate, garlic, onions, you know, things like that. I usually try to avoid those things. Because you don't have to give very much of that for them to have a problem with it. Oh, uh, okay. And to be the scariest is this diet chewing gum that has xylitol in it. So if it's got xylitol in it, you put it on the highest shelf in the building because uh, dogs don't tolerate much xylitol. Right. Okay. Okay. It's a very bad thing. So what's the best way for people to find out more about, say, you know, not just your vet services, but about the Voyager Dog Food? Where should they go? Well, voyagerdogfoodco.com. And it's a, we have a really nice website. There's a lot of information on there. Quite frankly, you can always call us and find out if you have a question. Uh, if Ben can't answer it or Molly can't answer it, I can answer it. So most of the time, we don't have all the answers, but we have a lot of the answers. And not only do we have a lot of the answers, we think we have a lot of the correct answers. And uh, I think you're going to see this copper thing. Uh, this may become, you know, I'm reading our magazines, and it used to be I'd see our journals and stuff, one article a year. Lately, it's been two or three or four. Now lately, it's about every ep- every uh, issue has something about copper and copper storage. So the internists are really figuring out that there's a problem here. And maybe something will change at some point in time, but it's going to take a while. In the meantime, we're pretty much the only game in town. If you're worried about copper storage disease, and probably you should have some concern. Very good. Well, Pete, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and just you know answering whatever question I have. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, well, it's a, yeah, yeah, just discipline, discipline, discipline. So, you know, how it works. And, uh, and I get it. They got big eyes and they want, and they want to, for what it's worth. I used to tease people every once in a while about getting a maid or a, a butler's outfit for themselves because the dog stands there and snaps his finger, but try to avoid doing that. Just feed them the things that are good for them and keep them reasonably thin and, uh, make sure they get plenty of exercise even when they get old. Okay. Very good. Again, thanks for coming on the podcast. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. 
If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.